Good morning, and again, Happy New Year's to everybody. Um, If you have your Bible, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and um, Hebrews chapter 10, and we'll begin in verse 23 in just a moment. And um, as you turn there, I want you to know that I've not forgotten about our uh, study that we've been doing out of the book of of, uh, of Luke. We will pick that up um, here before too long, but we kind of took a pause there for a little bit because of the holiday season and, and things like that. But uh, today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to read just a couple of verses. Now, uh, yesterday, New Year's Day, I got on Facebook, and uh, one of the things I really like about Facebook, there are a lot of things that really bother me and, and annoy me about Facebook, but one of the things I like is the memories. Does anybody else have those? Uh, it pops up and shows you posts that you've done from, from years past on that day. And now it's like that because a lot of times I'll post something or I'll post a picture of the kids or something that's going on. And it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. And, and uh, sometimes I, I repost that I've made and I wonder what in the world was I thinking or going through at the time. Um, but, but as I read through some of my posts that I've made on New Year's Day in years past, I kind of smiled to myself because... You know, we made it through 2020, and we made it through 2021, and I, I kind of smiled even though I looked at some of the stuff that I had, had written and, and, um, and, and some of the things I had said were, you know, we finally made it through the year, or I wonder what's coming up the next year, or things like that. And as I looked at the years that I posted those, I realized that, that those years had been kind of tumultuous in, uh, in, in our personal lives at, at different points. But as I, as I thought about things and realized we made it through 2020 and 2021, it seemed like there was some naivete, you know. I thought that things had been bad a couple times in the past, but, uh, but the world today is much different than it was uh, any of those years. And of course, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, so I'm not going to stand here and tell you what's going to happen in 2022. But uh, we are going to look at some things that, um, that need to happen and need to be true and, and present in our lives, whether it's 2022 or any other year. And, and we shouldn't leave these things undone no matter what year it is. Now, where we pick up in the text, as you can see, we're in chapter 10, so uh, we're, we're kind of picking up towards the end of this letter. And so uh, what, what the author's been doing, he's writing to some, some Jewish, some Hebrew Christians that are being persecuted. And they're being, they're, they have all kinds of pressure being put on by the unbelieving culture uh, to, to abandon their faith, but also from the Jewish religious establishment, if you will. And, and they are trying to uh, get these Christians to leave their Christian faith and to come back to their Jewish roots. And so they have all these pressures coming on them. And so the writer of Hebrews is showing them that Jesus is superior to anyone and anything, including the whole system of Judaism. And so, so he, he shows that Jesus is a better sacrifice, that he's ushered in a, a better covenant, that he's a perfect high priest, so on and so forth. And so he, he's building this case that Jesus is supreme. He is superior. And because of that, because of what Jesus has done, we can enter into God's presence directly through Christ. We don't have to go through an intermediary priest or anything like that. And because of these things, because these things are true, we need to come boldly before God and do the things that we're going to look at today. And so if you found Hebrews 10 um, and verse 23, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word if you're able. And we're going to read down to verse 25. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there are four things I want you, four words or, or phrases or ideas I want to glean from this text. And I want you to, to, to I, I hope that it, the, the Spirit lays these on your heart, that you'll take note of them, that you'll remember them. Uh, the first is resolution. Resolution. Now, even as I say the word resolution, I'm hesitant to do so because it's New Year's. I mean, New Year's Day was yesterday, and, and many of us make New Year's resolutions, and I really don't like them. I really dislike New Year's resolutions for the most part because, for, by and large, it seems like New Year's resolutions are not very resolved. New Year's resolutions, uh, by and large, it seems like with a lot of people, are, are really just a word game that serves to massage our sense of guilt and our feelings of shortcoming. And what I mean by that is we feel guilty or we feel bad about ourselves for various things. How many times have you looked at yourself in the mirror and you said, I'm too fat? How many times have you looked at your life and said, I'm not disciplined enough? How many times have you looked at your Bible and said, boy, I really need to read that more? And so then you say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm fat, undisciplined, and I don't read my Bible. So New Year's Day, I'm going to make a resolution. Be it resolved, I will eat better. I'll be more disciplined in my life, and I'm going to read the Bible through the, through, through, all the way through this year. I'm going to make it this time. But how many times do those resolutions end within a few days? For most of us, it's, it's, that, it's just a couple days or maybe a couple months maybe. I saw somebody on, on Facebook that said that they were going to pick up their reading plan of reading through the year where they had stopped last year at Genesis 3. And, and so maybe, maybe that resonates with you because you have these grand ideas, but life happens. And so you, you make these resolutions. I'm not talking about doing these things that make us feel better about ourselves for a couple months. I'm talking about being resolved, about being resolute. Because if you look at what he says in, in verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. In other words, we need to get a, a bulldog grip on it. Now, what's he talking about when he says the confession of our hope? What is that? Well, the confession of our hope, or your Bible might say the, the, our confession of faith. Back then and, and, and today as well, when people give their life to Christ, when they are baptized, they make a confession publicly. They, they publicly profess Christ. They, they confess Him. They profess Him as Lord. Now, now, professing Christ is more than just saying the phrase, Jesus is Lord. To profess or to, conf- to confess Christ means that we, we renounce, we forsake, we abandon all of our efforts of getting to heaven by ourselves. We, we, we abandon those efforts of, of, uh, of thinking that we're enough. We, uh, we, we lay down, we turn our back on, we, we forsake the world and its lusts. We set our minds to strive to live a holy life. We willingly deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Him. That's what it means to profess Jesus as Lord. We recognize Him as Lord of our lives. He's the one that calls the shots. In short, we recognize His Lordship and all that that means. And this confession is what He says to hold on to. And the encouragement here is to hold fast to, to, to that confession without wavering. Now the implication here is that there's going to be a difficulty. There's going to be some challenges to holding on to that. Because, because there are pressures, and, 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 and how many of you know that there are difficulties in, the, in, in life? 
there are difficulties when it comes to the Christian life because there are pressures maybe within our families, within the, the workplace, the culture as a whole. There are pressures to get us to abandon our, our faith commitment to the Lord. There are challenges to the faith that make us want to waver, that make us want to straddle the fence because those, those opinions, those views of the Bible are not popular. And so we want to, we want to waver a little bit. We want to waffle. And, and the, the author says we need to be resolute in holding fast to our confession of faith. It's not enough just to make a profession. A lot of people do that. But we need to hold fast to it. We need to continue in that. It needs to be an ongoing thing. And much, um, a lot fewer people are doing that. They, they don't persevere. They, they, they begin the race, but they don't cross the finish line. And he says, hold fast to your confession of, uh, of, of hope without wavering. Verse 23, why should we do that? Because, for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful to us. We should therefore be faithful to him. Because he is faithful, we can count on his promise, and we can stand in that promise. And in 2022, we need to be resolute in our confession of hope. The next thing I want you to to see, the the next word or or phrase here in, in verse 22 is we need to inflame each other. We need to inflame each other. Now, looking into verse 24. Now, I know inflame is kind of a, a strange uh, word choice here, but I, I want you to look at what it says. Verse 24, And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We need to stir one another up. Listen, we don't need to stir the pot. There's a difference between stirring each other up and stirring the pot. And, and, and you, you probably know what I mean. There are people who think their God-given gift is to stir up trouble in a church. There, there are people who, who think that, that they are, well, they, they just thrive on discord and disunity. They like it when people get upset and are not getting along. This is not what the, what the author is talking about. We need to maintain the bond of unity in the spirit of peace. We're not to rile each other up so that we're fighting and bickering. That's not what we're talking about. Instead, we need to stir each other up. We need to fan the flames. We need to encourage. We need to rouse. We need to call each other to something higher uh, in, in the Christian life. Now, I've known people, and you probably have, have known folks like this too, that will only serve on one committee in the church. And I don't mean one at a time. They serve on one committee, period. And that's the water brigade. And what, what they'll do, that's the only thing they'll do. If they see somebody who gets on fire for the Lord, so to speak, that they are passionate in their faith, they, they, they're letting their light shine, they think it's their, their, their duty or maybe even their privilege to throw water on that. Well, we don't, need, we don't want people to think we're radical around here. We, we, don't, we, don't, want, we don't want people to, we, we don't re- want a reputation. And some people, not just Baptists, but especially Baptists, kind of get skittish about people that are excited about their faith. But listen, you will, you will not be, because it's impossible, to be too excited or too passionate about, too sold out to love and good deeds. He says, fan the flames. He says, stir one another up to this. And, and listen, he, he's not saying just feel really nice about people. Because love is more than an emotion. Love here is, is doing what's in the best interest of the object, regardless of how we feel about them. And good deeds is not a replacement for our faith, but it's an outworking of our faith. Because faith without works, what? Is dead. 
Now, I, I want to pause here, and, and just to kind of talk about verses 24 and 25 as a whole. And one of the big picture ideas here that I want you to, to, to see is that we need each other. We need each other. Those two verses are built on this idea of needing one another. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. Many people think of church solely in terms of what's in it for them. What they can get out of it. It's all about me. It's like they think the church is UPS and the church is asking, what can, what can we do for you? So what do they say? Well, that church doesn't make me feel good about myself. That musical selection doesn't suit my tastes. The preaching does not have, or does the preaching have the proper amount of sophistication? Or maybe it's in another context, and they say, is the preaching down-to-earthiness? Is it, is it simple enough? Are there too many polysyllabic words or are they monosyllabic words? See, I can use big phrase. It means that you talk fancy. And what, what do we say? We, we, we look on these things and, and, and we talk to people who claim to be a Christian. They say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. Yeah, where do you go to church? Well, I don't. I've talked to people and I, they say, well, I've, I've gone to such and such church for, you know, 10 years. Oh, yeah, who's the pastor out there? I might know him. Um, um, well, you know, I can't remember his name. How can you go someplace for 10 years and not know the person's name is talking to you? Now, to some people, when you ask them why they don't go to church, sometimes they'll talk about hurt in the past or something like that. But many times, it, it's, it's one of these other things. They'll say, well... It's it, when you when you hear what they're saying, not just the words they use, but you hear that third ear, so to speak. They'll say it's, it's about me, it's about my preferences, it's about my desires and my my likes, and it's not suiting me. But as I look in this passage, and I look at other passages in the Scripture, we're not even mentioned in that sense. Did you know the church is not about me as the pastor or an attender, and it's not about you? Church is about God. Church is about worshiping Him corporately. And when we look at this, we see that we need each other. And when we forsake the assembling of ourselves together, two things. Number one, you're not getting what you need from other people. They're not stirring you up to, good, to, to love and good deeds. Verse 24. Verse 25, they're not encouraging you. But also, number two, and this is what I've, I've never... 100%, I don't think I've ever heard anybody even mention this or indicate that they've even thought about this. The people in that church that you're forsaking is not, are not getting what they need from you. Did you know that we're a body of Christ? And that as, as with our human body, all of our parts need each other to work together? Now, you might be able to get around without a foot or an arm or an ear or whatever piece it is. And you can, you can get along, but there's something missing. And the whole body needs that. And when you or anybody decides to forsake the assembling of yourselves together, the rest of the body is losing out from what you contribute. You say, well, I don't have much to contribute. It doesn't matter what you think you contribute. This is what 
the Bible says. Now I want to circle back to, to, to something I said earlier. I once had a person whose name I will not mention to, to save the guilty party say to me, Pastor, I'm just not getting anything out of this Bible study we're doing. And it and and am I? Can I tell you? Sometimes pastors don't have the the most Christian thoughts. And, and I will confess, my first thought, though I didn't say it, was to say, "Well, are you bringing anything to put it in?" Because what 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 I'm saying is, I and any other preacher can 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 deliver the truth, but but we can't apply it to the heart. And, and each of us has a responsibility when we attend worship. We have a responsibility to be active in and not spectators in the church service. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us have had church services, maybe a stretch, maybe, maybe several church services, where we went and we didn't get squat out of it? Again, I don't want to see hands. But we've all had them. We've all had those dry spells. And we go away and we say, well, you know what? I didn't get anything out of church today. I haven't got anything out of church for the last three or four weeks. I'll just, I might just skip a little bit. We've all felt that way. Maybe we've said those things. And I just want to ask you a couple questions. In those times when when you just didn't get anything out of the message, you didn't get anything out of the Bible study, whether it's here or somewhere else. Let me ask you a couple things. Number one, on those weeks when you didn't get anything out of the service, how much time did you spend praying for the preacher that week as he prepared the message? How much time did you spend praying for the preacher's family? How much time did you spend in prayer for the service that you were about to attend? How much time did you spend in prayer asking for God to prepare your heart to receive the message? How much time did you spend in personal, in-depth Bible study that week? How many songs did you actually sing in the service? When you did sing the songs... How many of those do you actually think about the words you were saying instead of thinking about going to Taco Bell after, after the service? How diligent were you throughout that week to keep yourself pure and unstained from sin? How much, how much effort did you put into focusing on God and His Word instead of all the things that bothered you in the service? Uh, the, the reason I'm saying that is because Many of those things, those times when we say, well, I, I, I left and I didn't get anything out of it, many of the times we have some responsibility in that, don't we? Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Because the preacher has responsibility too. Sometimes the preacher doesn't do a good job. Sometimes sermons fall flat. Sometimes the preacher gets up and he doesn't hit a grand slam. I mean, you listen to the guys on the radio, see him on TV, and it's like they're hitting, they're knocking him out of the park every time you see him. And you come and, and you listen to the preaching, and sometimes it's a bunt. It's maybe a single. 
listen, I, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is church isn't primarily about you and me. It's about God. It's about joining together to, to, to praise God and help one another out. It's to stir one another up to love and good works. Now, I, I kind of spent a little bit of time here, and that really touched on three points of the, the text and of the message. So I'm just kind of kind of hit the next two kind of in a summary fashion. Uh, so, so look at verse 25. It's really a continuation of the sentence, the idea that started in verse 24. And the word that I want to use to sum up this is the, the, the idea of being faithful, of not, for, not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together. To, to put it differently, and, and again, I've kind of touched on this, but go to church. Go to church. Now, this is the linchpin that holds verses 24 and 25 together because you cannot encourage one another. You cannot stir them up to love and good deeds when you're not around them. Now, it may surprise you, I'm not going to use a big $10 word. There is a big $10 word for what the author does here. But what he does is is he uses a a part to represent the whole. In other words, when he says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, he's not just talking about getting together. There's more, because we have to ask, what happens when the church comes together corporately? What happens when we assemble? And that's what's included in this command. It's the preaching, the teaching, the, the administration of the ordinances, the, the corporate worship, and all the other. In other words, don't forsake all those things. And this is important because if you look at verses 26 and following, which we didn't read these and we're not going to spend any time here, but he goes on to talk about people falling away of, of apostasy. In other words, when you forsake these things, and it's your habit, because that's what he says. He says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together, as is the habit of some, even in the first century. It was people's habitual practice to skip church. And he says, because if you continue to read down to verse 26, that when you forsake those things, you're backsliding. And if that continues, a result in that can be, and often is, falling away. Turning your back on the faith, abandoning the truth, walking away from the Lord. But I want you to notice, number two, the context in which this was written. Because what I say at the beginning, these believers are face, facing persecution. And so it would be easy to look at that and say, well, we, we better not join together because it's too dangerous. It's too difficult. Too difficult of a time. But listen, especially during the difficult times, that's when it's even more important to come together. That's when you need the encouragement even more. Now, how public these gatherings were, you know, that probably depended on the context and how dangerous things were. But they were, they were not trying to do it on their own. The last couple of years I've been, I've been reading a lot of stories and listening to a lot of things about military personnel. And, and there are stories of being in, in battles and different things. And, and one of the things that's, I mean, some of them have had harrowing events. And one of the things that stood out to me is, is something that's kind of universal in their stories. If, let's say they're in a plane and that plane goes down behind enemy lines and they get separated from their, their unit, you know what they do? They do everything in their power to get back to their team. They want to be with their team. They're surrounded by the bad guys. And regardless of, of their circumstance, that's what their focus is. That's where their effort is. And as I, I thought about what the author says here, I, I realized that a lot of Christians today have essentially gone AWOL. 
They're in battle. They're in spiritual warfare. They're surrounded by the enemy. They're behind enemy lines. And what do they do? They separate themselves from their unit. They separate themselves from their group, from the good guys. They, and they think that's good. They think it's wise because it's convenient. And they'll use whatever excuses they are to justify what they're doing. But that's just what they are, their excuses. And listen, you will end up a spiritual casualty. To use a different picture, it's cold. We burn fire. Or we burn firewood. And what happens, you burn fire, there are coals and embers and all those things left over. And you take one of those, one of those coals, it can be glowing, bright orange, and you separate it from all the others, what happens? It's going to go out. It's going to cool off. The rest of them can be glowing, giving off heat and light and everything else, but that one by itself is going to get cold. And the same thing happens with us. We, we, we separate ourselves from, uh, from, from the rest of the fire, so to speak, and we're going to cool off spiritually. And finally, last thing I want you to see in verse 25, right at the end, we need to encourage one another. We need to encourage one another. Now, this is the same root word that Jesus used whenever he spoke of sending the Comforter, the, the Holy Spirit. It's, it, has, it comes from the, the word paraclete, which means to come alongside someone and help. And he says we need to be an encouragement to those around us because this world is very discouraging. There are a lot of people, a lot of voices that, that, that come at us that discourage us as Christians, we need to come alongside each other and help each other. We need to bear one another's burdens. We need to come alongside and, and, and lift each other up. We need to encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. We don't have forever on this earth. We need to be resolute. We need to stir one another up. We need to be faithful and we need to encourage one another. And none of these things is without... It is outside the reach of any of us. We, these are things that all of us can do. You say, Pastor, even though it's four, that's still a little much for me. Which one, though, just one thing, which is, which is the one thing you're weakest in? Have you given in to pressure to, to waver in your faith? With your life and with your words, do you fan the flames of, of love and good deeds? And those around you. Do you look for, are, are you faithful? Do you look for almost any reason not to attend church? Do you encourage others? Find out what that one thing is and focus on that. Focus this week and, and this month and this year on that one thing. Now, of course, I'm speaking specifically to Christians. This is not a self help message. It may, it, it may not even be that encouraging of a message. But listen, these are things that we need to do. And, and it's not that if you do them well enough, you're going to be saved. Because there's no other way to be saved and go to heaven except for faith in Jesus Christ alone. And it could be that, 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 that maybe somebody here, maybe somebody that's, that's, that's watching online, you've never done that. You've never put your faith in Christ alone for salvation. The Bible says that if we will do that, even right where you are, if you will trust in Him for salvation, you will be saved. And if you've never done that, I mean, what better way to start out 
the new year than to have new life in Christ. Why don't you stand with me as a musician comes. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just invite you, encourage you to consider those things. Those just, just four things. Which of those which of those things are you weakest in? Now the fact of the matter is we all have room to grow in all of them. But if you think of it like a barrel with wooden slats, which one of those is the shortest? Heavenly Father, Lord, we don't know what 2022 is, is holding for us, but we take comfort in knowing that you do and that we know you. And God, we know that, uh, that life is very changeable and can change in, in just a heartbeat. And many times we focus on the, the negative side of that. But Lord, we know that there's a positive side too and things can change in a heartbeat. And God, we, um, we pray that you will uh, be with us as we go uh, into 2022, as we, um, as we strive to be obedient and faithful to you. God, I ask that um, just these four things that you would lay on each of our hearts the thing that we need to focus on the most. Thank you for your love, for your forgiveness. And God, if there's somebody who doesn't know you as, as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and let them become your child today. Thank you for being with us in all that we go through. In Jesus' name, amen.